And what really amazed me was that less than 48 hours after I was admitted to hospital, I was at home. Um, and I just couldn't believe that that was even possible. Every day at HPG, we speak with people who literally perform medical magic across the entire healthcare spectrum. But today, we're speaking with a patient. Patients are the end goal in all healthcare and why we are all here doing what we are doing. Ian has had brain surgery twice. After being diagnosed with a tumor on his brain, he was operated on within days of the diagnosis. We talked to Ian about his experience, the diagnosis, the treatment, his family, his vast medical team, and everything else in between. What's it really like to be told your brain will be operated on? This is a particularly special story because the patient, Ian, is a husband of Jill, a member of our clinical research recruitment team, who will be interviewing him today. Many of our consultants hold a personal connection to healthcare, which can very often guide them towards a path of healthcare recruitment. So here is Jill speaking with her husband today. Ian, so just kind of start us off from the beginning, just kind of walk us through um, what were some of your first symptoms and what prompted you to get checked out? Yeah, so uh, in August 2017, I was on a bus for a work trip. Uh, it was about a three-hour bus trip and uh, I was sitting on my own and uh, there was no one next to me and I just sort of suddenly had uh, the room, sort of the bus started spinning um, and I had this sense of sort of horror come over me. Um, I went completely blind and I remember because I checked, actually remember checking that my eyes were open and I couldn't see anything. Um, and that lasted for about, probably about a minute. Uh, and then um, replace it, that was replaced with a pretty um, severe headache. Um, and at the time I, I've historically had migraines in the past and I sort of just put it down to being a strange onset migraine. Um, so we got off the bus about an hour later and by this point the headache was pretty severe um, and it was a beach sort of activities team building day so all of the rest of the team went off and, and did their various activities and I uh, it was a public area I found a secluded bush to lie down behind and basically spent the next three to four hours throwing up uh, and feeling pretty sorry for myself um, and then eventually, about three hours later, I uh, sort of came good and was able to participate in the barbecue um, that we had on. So we had lunch and then we headed back um, to Canberra from there. Um, so, Did you uh, feel 100% after that? Or? No, I didn't. I certainly didn't feel 100% even at the barbecue. And I wasn't too worried about it. But a couple of people sort of suggested that I should probably, probably go and see a doctor about it, which um, I, of course, did. Um, they sent me for an MRI and then I had that MRI and uh, the first sort of indication that something might not be quite as straightforward as we'd hoped was that halfway through the MRI they came in and I was required to sign a consent form for um, the delivery of contrast into which is something that enables the MRI machine to um, get some different contrast in, in, through um, an injection into your blood, which um, that was the first indication that the uh, person behind the MRI wanted to get some further information. Now, at this point, I still wasn't 
really all that worried about anything. Um, so then following on from that, went back to the GP who um, referred me to a neurologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at that appointment, which was a Friday afternoon, which I went to, um, where that, that neurologist informed me that it was actually a brain tumour. You can imagine that that sort of news is quite confronting. And I don't really recall what he said other than that I left feeling pretty um, pretty unsure of what, what, what it even was. And that was somewhat linked to the way that that message was delivered. Um, in addition to that, as part of that um, delivery, he informed me that because what I had had on that bus turns out to have been some form of seizure, um, that I was now no longer able to drive, even drive the car home. Um, so at that point I needed to call a friend um, and that friend was uh, our friend Tamelia, who came and picked me up and, and, and we discussed it on the way mm-hmm. home before she dropped me at home. Yeah. Um, as I eventually found out, the uh, the official diagnosis um, at that point hadn't been made because the nature of a brain tumour and the fact that you can't easily take a biopsy without surgery. So it was actually a couple of months before I got the full diagnosis. Um, so they divided that tumour, which was from my left frontal lobe, uh, this area here, into six sections. And in one part of one of those six sections, there were some what they call grade three cells. So brain tumours in adults are categorised uh, in a grading system uh, with two being the lowest form that a an adult can receive generally mm-hmm. and four being the most aggressive form. So one part of one of those six sections had some grade three cells and it was an anaplastic astrocytoma, which is a particular type of um, brain cancer that affects um, those particular cells in the brain. Okay. Oh, sorry. And just one more time, what, what was the official, diag- what was that name? Anaplastic astrocytoma. Right. So what, what were your first reactions to that when you first found out? So that diagnosis didn't come till months later, that official, but the, 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 in being told that I had a brain tumor was completely uh, debilitating, I guess, in terms of how you are mentally dealing with that. Um, so I was living alone in Canberra at that point. Um, uh, you were still living um, in Houston, so you hadn't yet moved over. Um, and my the remainder of my family all lived uh, about um, seven to eight hours drive north of Canberra. And it was obviously quite uh, an emotional sort of period in that evening. Now, mm. luckily, I have a, a friend who I'd worked with previously who is a GP. And I was able to call him to sort of ask some additional questions as to what exactly it meant for me and he sort of really was able to firm up in my mind um, what my next step should be because at that point I was not even sure how or if I should tell my family in this case my family I'm meaning mum and dad in in the first instance Um, and I was also aware of the fact that you were just about to go on a family reunion holiday and I didn't want to tell you that at the commencement of that weekend. So I was deliberate in not informing you in the first instance um, because I wanted you to be able to enjoy that weekend with your family. Mm-hmm. Well, that was very thoughtful. Um, 
Yeah, and I guess that's just my next question. Is Was it difficult to tell me initially or your family? Mum um, and dad, it wasn't uh, that hard. Um, that was just done by a phone call uh, with both of them and we had a fairly long discussion after that and I think from that discussion they they left the very next morning to come and visit and and spend some time in Canberra to be there to support. Mm -hmm. Um, It was harder to tell you. Um, You and I were coming up towards the end of our time in our long distance relationship and uh, were um, uh, quite far along the path of planning uh, your move to Australia Um, and some of the thoughts that go through my head at that point is whether or not because at this point I wasn't yet completely even sure what this meant what what did this diagnosis mean for me and my life um so some of the thoughts that go through your head are should I even tell her should should we even pursue this anymore And, and and how how do we go about that um now with a couple of days to think about that, I decided that of course I should tell you and that, that it, it's important for me to do that. Um, so I remember, I think I set my alarm for about two in the morning um, to wake up to call you at the, at the, at the end of that family reunion, um, such that you could find out and still be with your family when you did find out, but that it wouldn't have ruined the whole weekend. So. Okay, um, let's see. What was the initial, initial treatment plan? Yeah, so the initial treatment plan, um, as I've mentioned, until they uh, have a look at what that tumour is, they, they don't know what is required. So the mm-hmm. initial treatment plan was a neurosurgeon, uh, which was uh, Dr. Peter Muse, mm-hmm. um, and he was just fantastic. Uh, right from the very first moment I interacted with him, I, I, I got a real sense of warmth and empathy uh, and understanding of of what I needed to do in the next, in the coming weeks. Now, mm-hmm. he explained the process that was going to be surgery, um, to remove the tumor as identified by the MRI. Um, so the tumor requires, uh, sorry, the surgery requires um, a cut in the scalp, which is along here, um, with the scalp then um, sort of peeled back for want of a better description, um, and then a section of skull cut out and removed to allow the surgeon in to conduct the surgery before that's all replaced and folded back over. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty amazed at how that went um when you think about other organs i think it's it's a little more normal for us to understand that some of those organs can or parts of those organs can be removed and the remainder of that organ continues to function um, such as liver or kidney i don't think many people normally think about the fact that you can actually have part of your brain removed and, and still function entirely normally um so the surgery happened and what really amazed me was that less than 48 hours after I was admitted to hospital, I was at home um, and I just couldn't believe that that was even possible. Now, I wouldn't have been able to be at home on my own without uh, my mum who was mm-hmm. there for support. Um, I could function around the house, but I had headaches and I, a, a giant head, um, egg-shaped head, and uh, I was very sensitive to light, so I couldn't go out in the sun without mm. exacerbating those headaches. Um, mm. But uh, it was—it did make me think about the marvels of, of modern medicine and how how you can have such a serious surgery and be home in such a short period of time. Yeah, and how much is removed from that left front part of your brain? For the first surgery, um, 
I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was about one and a half centimetres diameter. Mm -hmm. uh, so about a golf ball size. Now, when they analysed those and found that there were some grade three cells in there, they then therefore treat the entire thing as being a grade three tumour. And because of the more aggressive nature of grade three against grade two, um, there's a different treatment plan. So up until that point, they had all thought that it was likely to be just a grade two. So to that point in time, the treatment plan was likely to be um, removal, recovery, and then ongoing monitoring. Uh, now on discovery of the grade three cells, that changed to being another um, surgery with more um, brain tissue taken out uh, as a precaution, mm -hmm. um, along with six weeks of radiochemotherapy combined, followed by 12 months of, of chemotherapy. So the second surgery they tried to take, they needed to take out an extra one and a half to two centimetres in each direction. Mm -hmm. One of the issues there is that the left frontal lobe is near where the language centre for the brain is. So I had to do a, a, another MRI, which they called a functional MRI, uh, where they you, you can't move within an MRI, but you had to think about things. So they presented you a word and you had to think of a, it was like a word association game. Mm. And that sort of helped them see where in my brain my language centre is. So the risk with the second surgery was that because they were taking more normal brain tissue out, that there might be impacts to speak or think or judgment. Um, so in the end, I think it's somewhere between the size of about uh, a racquetball and a tennis ball. I think a tennis ball is probably on the larger side, but yeah. it's not something they ever actually really tell you you have yeah. this much brain taken out. Yeah. Um, but you can see a big gap on MRIs where there's no longer normal brain tissue. So. so when you found out you were having brain surgery, how did you even comprehend that? What were you feeling in that moment? Uh, so the first three to four months were pretty emotional. Um, I've described it as a process of grieving, um, coming to terms with, with what it is and what it may mean for your life. And I think those first few months, I, and I think it's fairly natural that you default to the pessimistic view uh, you sort of, you ask the question, why me? Uh, and you sort of dwell on the negative aspects and, and what, what impact it's going to have on your life and what you may not be able to do anymore in life. But once I got through those sort of first three months and I, and I moved from Canberra to Sydney, it was sort of like a clean break from, from those thoughts. And, and since then, my view has been that there's no point focusing on the negatives and there's no point thinking why me because why not me but also to have a positive outlook on life and to still do all of the things that you want to do still be active still get out and socialize and it now no longer really has an effect on me it's not something I think about on a day-to-day -day basis and I think that's the way that I've dealt with it and I think it may have had positive effects not necessarily on the on the physical elements of health but certainly on my mental health. So what were some of the potential risks associated with your surgery? Uh, yeah so some of the risks um, luckily for me and it's an interesting word to use I guess is that the the tumor was on on the outside of the brain uh, which makes it significantly easier for them to operate. Um, if the tumor is closer to the internal parts of the brain or the brain tumor, the, uh, sorry, the brain stem, they've obviously got to be a lot more careful. The left, the frontal lobe is also not a particularly bad place from what they've told me to, to have a brain tumor because 
there's the left frontal lobe and right frontal lobe do fairly similar stuff. And the other thing that I've learned is that the brain is incredibly plastic and that it can, it can learn and it can adapt. Some of the risks for the frontal lobe is it's your center of judgment. Um, so some, there were some risks that your ability to uh, be sound in your judgment and, and have common sense. And obviously the, I spoke earlier about the risk to my language center. Um, now, as a result of both of the surgeries, I've noticed no change. My family's noticed no change and no one has ever mentioned that they've noticed any change in me whatsoever. So it's all worked out really well for me. Fantastic. So talk me through your operation and who was all involved in that process. Uh, yeah, so um, obviously in the first instance, it was uh, the GP uh, who referred me to the neurologist who I then had to go uh, back to the GP and then, and then on to a neurosurgeon. Um, there was an anaesthetist, of, of course, involved in the surgery as well as all of the surgical staff. Um, I, I, I did meet the anaesthetist, but it was just before he knocked me out, so I don't have a solid memory of him. Uh, and then throughout the recovery period in the hospital, um, I start, you start off after brain surgery, you're in the ICU ward, so you, you're getting very sort of personal care, assisting me with my recovery and, and getting me out of bed for the first time, and he was very um, uh, empathetic towards that, and I, I really appreciated that. Following on from that, when I moved to Sydney, there was obviously a requirement to change neurosurgeons. So um, the previous neurosurgeon referred me to another one in Sydney, who I, who I remain seeing today, um, as well as a medical oncologist and a radio oncologist, um, as well as their registrars and, and their staff um, who have assisted me throughout the um, treatment journey. Walk me through your recovery process and what that looked like for you. Yes, yeah, so the recovery process from, from it was fairly um, easy. Uh, I didn't expect, uh, not that I really ever had any expectations of what recovery from brain surgery would be like. Um, as I said, the first surgery I spent only just two days in hospital before going home. The second surgery uh, being a slightly more invasive surgery, I spent uh, closer to four days. Um, but in both instances, there was uh, some minor headaches and some sensitivity to light. Um, the second surgery, there was significantly more swelling, uh, which lasted for probably about a week. But in terms of my cognitive ability and my physical um, strength, I didn't notice any change around the, uh, around the surgery periods. Um, the radio um, therapy um, had, a, had a beam uh, around this area here, so I did lose um, my hair just in uh, basically the... Uh, the upper parts of the sideburn, um, because it was at the, the front of the head, it wasn't particularly noticeable. It just sort of looked like I'd had a haircut which had shaved the front of my head. Um, and then the chemotherapy had almost no side effects whatsoever. So that was just a, a tablet taken five days out of every 28. Um, and I took it along with an anti-nauseousness pill. The chemotherapy um, didn't have really any side effects at all. Um, it was a, a pill taken at night um, for five days out of every 28, um, uh, with the, also taken with an anti-nauseousness pill. Um, I was able to work full time throughout that period. Um, and the only time I did have any of those uh, side effects was one night I was uh, away for work and I forgot to take the anti-nauseousness pill. And sure enough, at about 2 a.m. I woke up and spent a couple of hours throwing up uh, and deciding that I would never forget to take that uh, alongside it again. Um, 
Were there any moments when you thought, I did not think this would happen with brain surgery or any surprises that happened along the way? I think really the thing that surprised me the most is I indicated earlier is just how quickly you could be, be home. Um, and it surprised me the way that we don't see our brain as being something that you can just take a part of and that you can continue to function. Now, obviously that's not always the case and, and, and there can be some side effects. And I, I think um, I've been quite lucky that I, I, I have had none. So um, I, I can't think of any other particular moments where I was surprised. It was more just the surprise at how, how quickly you can recover from it. Um, did you feel that there was any gaps in your care? No, I don't think so. There was only probably one moment where I was a little frustrated and it was the, the period in between that first surgery and receiving the um, results of the biopsy. I felt it took longer than it should have. That may have been related to me moving from Canberra to Sydney and, and an injected change to the, to the package of care that would have happened to, for me had I remained in Canberra. Um, but I think that was about a two and a half month period. Um, now that may be entirely normal. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not sure, but it was something that was weighing on me. Were there any medical professionals that really made an impact on your recovery? Uh, there's a couple. I mean, I've already mentioned uh, the first neurosurgeon, um, Dr. Muse. And then the one that I've had the most ongoing care through is the, the neurosurgeon in, in Sydney, is Dr. Jacob Fairhall. Um, they're the ones that I've had the most interaction with uh, and sort of they're managing my ongoing care. Um, but that being said, the, the remainder of the team, uh, the medical and radio-oncologist, uh, Dr. Um, Hobie and Dr. Smee, were both, um, both really good as well and both very thorough and good at their job as well as their registrars and their, um, their staff. Um, um, many would suggest that a cancer diagnosis and, and brain cancer in general would be a life-changing experience. How would you say this has impacted your life, if at all? Um, yes, it certainly had an impact, um, particularly in those early stages. Um, and uh, we d I discussed the, the grief aspect to it earlier. Um, uh, my work, uh, thankfully, has been very uh, flexible um, after both surgeries. There was a period of several months off, um, which uh, they were quite um, supportive of uh, and ensuring that I was able to have that time off to um, recover fully. Um, the brief periods of about three months each time where I was unable to drive post those surgeries had, had a brief impact, but again, not particularly um, significant. And I guess your overall outlook on life changes at first, but in the long term, it, I don't really think about it on a day-to-day -day basis anymore. And that's largely due to the fact that I've um, maintained my quarterly MRIs and ma maintained that there's been no further growth of, uh, of that area. So I'm able to continue on with life without really thinking about it um, on a day-to-day -day basis. What would you tell someone who's just received the same diagnosis? I'd tell them to take the time to grieve appropriately um, and then to at some point, uh, once that they are able to come to terms with the fact that they've had this diagnosis, to, to try to see the bright 
uh, side and, and not focus on the negatives and to uh, embrace the challenge and to embrace the experience um, and to approach it in a positive way um, because I think if you dwell um, on the negative aspects, it'll just have a negative impact on um, your ability to deal with that both mentally and, and potentially physically as well. So how does brain cancer fit into your life now? Is it something you want to forget about or is it something um, that's had a more lasting impact? It's not something I want to forget about. Um, it's it's something I would prefer to be able to forget about, but the nature of the diagnosis is that, that um, I need to have the ongoing MRIs um, and that will probably last for, for as long as... Um, as, a, as long as I live, so I'll probably continue to have to have those MRIs. Um, however, it has led to me becoming interested in um, fundraising for the um, for the cause of and awareness of brain cancer. Um, uh, before I was diagnosed with brain cancer, I was unaware that um, it's the leading cause of death by disease for children in Australia, um, and that's um, a pretty sad thing. Um, particularly, um, you can imagine we've we've just had our first daughter, and it would be a horrible experience for um, a parent to have a diagnosis in their in their child. Um, I'm engaged uh, with the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation uh, on the 10th, from the 10th to the 17th of May. Me and three friends are doing the Larapinta Trail Trek for Brain Cancer. Um, so the Larapinta Trail is a 223-kilometer trail west of Alice Springs um, to, uh, to, along the West McDonnell Ranges. Um, so we're doing a seven-day trek along parts of that um, to raise awareness and to raise money um, for the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. Uh, and it's something that we're really looking forward to and really throwing our, our efforts behind achieving. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Ian. I know that that's been very difficult for us and, and us as a family. Um, so we really appreciate your time today and, and being willing to share that. Of course, it's my pleasure. Yeah.